Can you recognise the two people in the photo? Or the photos? One is my son Daniel and uh, the other is the former Australian cricket captain Steve Waugh. Uh, one of the best cricket players Australia has ever produced. Uh, Daniel had the opportunity to play against him a few years ago. I don't know how Daniel felt, but I felt quite nervous for him and excited and proud and it was special to meet Steve Waugh later. How do you react when you see someone famous, uh, when you're in the presence of greatness? I tend not to make a big deal. I, I try to treat them like everybody else. And I think most Aussies are the same. They don't make a big deal. There's no point the celebrity getting a big head. Uh, I think the Aussies like to keep our tall uh, tall poppies and cut our tall poppies down to size. That means we like everyone to be the same. In America, it's different. They tend to treat their celebrities, uh, they would mob mob them and uh, give them all this special attention. Fans would go silly and scream and... And I hesitate to draw the comparison between Jesus and Steve Waugh, but I think we have a similar situation here in John chapter 1. There's a whole range of people who meet uh, Jesus. A man that we've already discovered fits this category of greatness better than anyone else. How will these people react in the presence of greatness? Will they make make a big deal or not? Because it's a much more important question how you react meeting Jesus than how you react meeting a celebrity celebrity like Steve Waugh. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. So it's important that we watch closely and learn from these people. Well, the action takes place in these verses over four days and there's a development as each day passes. So first up, day one, it's about John the Baptist. We've already met him in the first verses of chapter 1, they talk about how John uh, came as a witness, someone to point people to Jesus. But notice the important distinction there in verse 8, last week's verses says, he himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. John's not the main act, he's only the backup band, he's the signpost, the spotlight, he's not the star. That's something that Jewish Leaders get wrong in today's verses. In verse 19, John is out in the desert and people are flocking to hear him. He's preaching all sorts of sermons about the coming judgment and the day of the Lord, but he hasn't got a theological degree. And so the Jewish leaders send people to interview him. Who are you, they say. And maybe John says something like, I'll give you three guesses. And so they take guess number one. Are you the Christ, God's anointed ruler, the one who promised to send, uh, God had promised to send to rescue his people? Wrong, verse 20. Guess number two, what about Elijah? Another of God's promised leaders. That's from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Wrong again, says John. Uh, Final guess. Final guess, uh, the prophet. Yet another of God's promised leaders from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, Someone who God promised would come after Moses and be just like him. John says, still wrong. By this stage they're getting a bit frustrated. They'd used up their three guesses and they still had nothing to tell their bosses. Uh, That's verse 22. And, And so John says, I'm a nobody. 
I'm just the advance party. I'm getting things ready for the main event. Uh, Verse 23, John replied, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, I'm just a road worker, getting the road nice and smooth for the main attraction. Uh, It's what's happening on the Gold Coast at the moment uh, because this year in April it's hosting the Commonwealth Games. Uh, Workers are madly trying to get everything finished. They're fixing roads and laying grass and building stadiums checking arrangements, tidying up, preparing accommodation, all getting ready for the arrival of the main attraction. And it's not people in those safety vests. It's the athletes. They're the main attraction. John says, I'm not the gold medal athlete. I'm just a construction worker or a cleaner. And he makes the point again down in verse 27. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The one who's coming, I'm not even fit to scrub his boots. He's the main man, I'm the shoeshine boy. Well, that's day one. Get ready, he's coming. Then we read day two, Jesus arrives and John continues uh, to compare him and Jesus. John's nothing, Jesus is everything. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now that's a bit tricky in English, if English isn't your first language, I think those words are a bit similar. We'll come back to the Lamb of God verse in a minute, but just for the moment, look at the comparison. The man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Compared to John, Jesus, uh, sorry, compared to Jesus, John is a new arrival, uh, only been here for 30 years. Because even though Jesus hasn't been introduced yet, he's actually been around a whole lot longer. Do you remember last week? The verse began, in the beginning was the word. And and somehow John understood that about Jesus. When John was nothing more than a twinkle in his father's eye, Jesus was there actually putting the twinkle in the stars. Have you ever thought about where you were before you were born? Have you ever thought about what it means not to exist when others were walking and talking? Occasionally we'll pull out the old family photo albums and we see photos of Alex as a curly-haired preschooler or Lachlan as a chubby-cheeked toddler or Daniel as a bouncing baby. But Elise, our youngest, she's just not there. She's not in the photos because she's in some other room or visiting friends. She's not there. She doesn't exist. It's a bit weird thinking about not existing, isn't it? Well, Jesus never had to worry about that because he has always existed from all eternity with his heavenly father long before John came into the picture. Every other human being came into existence at a point in time, at the moment of their conception. But Jesus always was and simply took on flesh. He put off immortality and put on mortality like changing clothes 
And that's why he surpasses John. That's why he's greater than him. That's not the only comparison John draws. Uh, If you look down in verse 33, John is baptising with water. He's cleaning the outside. Uh, A symbol uh, of you trying your hardest to be good and different and new. A sign that you're going to turn over a new leaf. There's an English expression which means you're going to start again. A sign that you're going to try something. But John says, that's nothing. I wash the outside, but that's nothing compared to what Jesus would do. Verse 33, he says, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testify that this is the Son of God. That's change that is real, change that lasts. Jesus gives you his Holy Spirit to wash you clean and to make you new on the inside and to give you power to change that lasts, that's effective. And only God's Son can do that. And that brings us back to the verse we skipped over before. In verse 29, how Jesus is able to wash you clean by his Spirit. John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a little hint right here at the beginning of things that will get clearer and clearer as we keep reading. Jesus came to take away sin. But Jesus is able to deal with our sin not by destroying enemies but by offering himself as a sacrificial lamb to absorb the punishment we deserve. The picture is probably of the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 when Israel was leaving Egypt and a lamb that Jewish families killed and they spread the blood on the doorpost as a sign for God's angel to pass over that house and spare them. Or maybe John is thinking of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 where God provides a sheep as a sacrifice so that Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son Isaac. God provides a sacrifice as a substitute. Or maybe some people think the picture is from Isaiah 53 where God promises to send a suffering servant who is led like a lamb to the slaughter, a person who took our infirmities and was pierced for our transgressions and his punishment brought us peace. So whichever lamb John is thinking of, the point is clear, there is a king who lays down his life for his servants, for his people. A king who dies so that we can live. The son of God who baptises with his spirit to make us clean and new. That's the greatness that John points to of Jesus. You don't see that greatness in anybody else. You don't see it in politicians or sportsmen or movie stars who always push themselves forward and want to come first. This great king puts himself last for the sake of his people. How do you react at greatness like that? Well, most people do the Aussie thing. They see a celebrity and they act cool, pretend they haven't seen him, don't make a big deal. That's what most Australians do with Jesus. They just sort of ignore him and 
treat him like everybody else. But if Jesus is as great as these verses are saying, then we should make a big deal of him. And we see that happening on the next days, day three and four. They show how you respond in the presence of greatness. So day one was John, day two was John and Jesus. Well now day three we see John, Jesus and some disciples. Some people who do make a big deal of Jesus. Well the day begins with John doing what he's supposed to do, he's pointing to Jesus. Verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by he said, look, the Lamb of God. And notice what those two disciples do. They were following John, but as soon as they see Jesus, they're gone. They transfer their tuition. They follow Jesus instead. Verse 38, they ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, we want to find out more. And look at Jesus' beautiful response in verse 39. Come and see. Come and see. And so they go and spend the day with him. It's more than an invitation to to look at his house. It's an invitation to investigate Jesus himself. It's the same invitation Jesus gives to each of us. Are you beginning to understand the greatness of Jesus? Then he says, come and see. Investigate me further. You see, Christianity has nothing to hide. Jesus has nothing to hide. Come and see. Read the accounts of Jesus' life. Like here in John's Gospel, eavesdrop on his conversations, his interactions with people, his prayers. Appreciate the perfections of his character and the way he treats people. There's humility perfectly combined with power. He accepts everyone perfectly combined with being pure goodness. He's got the wisdom to always say the right word at the right time to everybody. Look over his shoulder as he does miracles, as he heals sick people and turns water into wine, as he dies a criminal's death in your place, as he's raised to life as God's victorious king, It's the contradiction of someone with all the power who gives it all up for the powerless. Come and see and see if you can treat him as no big deal. Come and see. That's why John wrote the whole book of John in the first place. Uh, Chapter 20 verse 30, he summarises everything he's just written and he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these ones, the ones you've just read about are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what happens with these two disciples. They leave John and they come to Jesus and they see and they believe Look at what happens next in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who'd followed Jesus. First thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. That's what you do in the presence of greatness. 
You recognise, you believe and you follow. And when you recognise it, the loving thing to do is to, to show it to someone else. Andrew tells his brother, we found the Messiah and then he brings him to Jesus so Simon can recognise Jesus too. That's what you do in the presence of greatness. That's day three. As we move into day four, we see more of the same thing. Jesus himself finds some disciples. Finding Philip, he said, follow me, verse 43. We assume Philip does and then Philip does the same thing that Andrew does. He passes on the good news. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? Come and see, said Philip. There it is again, come and see. And maybe as you talk to your friends and they start coming up with arguments about why Christianity is false or you shouldn't believe it, why God doesn't exist, that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites and what about the Crusades and religious wars? And Here's a strategy to follow, isn't it? Well, that stuff might be true, but come and see. Investigate Jesus. It seems Nathaniel was prepared to do that. He might have been sceptical, but, but he was genuinely interested. I think that's what uh, is meant by Jesus' comment in verse 47, that he is an Israelite in whom there's nothing false. He's coming with an open mind. He's got good motives. He genuinely wants to know the truth. It doesn't take him long to be convinced. Verse 49, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, but, but God's Messiah, the promised king, the son of God in the sense of being God's king. Psalm 2 or 2 Samuel 7 say that that's a title for the king, son of God. But he's more than just a king, isn't he? We readers know that he's God's eternal son, the only one who comes from the Father, the one who perfectly and completely reflects all God the Father is. We know that he offers life and light and the right to become a child of God. He is the Son of God. When you're in the presence of greatness, you need to recognise and follow and believe. So friends, let me ask you the obvious question. Have you recognised Jesus like that? Are you showing that by following him in your life, by, by trusting him in the decisions that you make each day? Are you trusting him for your forgiveness of your sin before your father? If you haven't done that, today would be a great time to recognise him. Many of us, of course, have already done that. Well, if that's you, then there is something else in this passage that you are told to do in the presence of greatness. Tell others to come and see. When you know a secret as special as this, as life-changing as this, that's the loving thing to do, isn't it? To share the secret, to invite others to come and see. D.T. Niles 
was a Sri Lankan Methodist minister and uh, his most famous uh, quote is that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's great, isn't it? It's simple. There's no pride or pretension in that attitude of telling people about Jesus. You're telling them for the benefit of that other person. Do you know, you are here today because someone acted in that way in love towards you. Someone invited you to come and see. May have been your parents, I suspect, for many of you, or another family member. It might have been a friend or a workmate or a Sunday school teacher or a youth group leader. It might have happened one year ago or 50 or more. They may have introduced you themselves to Jesus or they may have taken you to someone else who could. But whatever the circumstances, someone loved you enough to introduce you to Jesus. Who do you love enough that you can say to them, I'm not perfect, I don't have all the answers, but I've found the one who is and who does. Come and see. Sometime after he wrote this book, John wrote another book, the book of Revelation. And in in that book of Revelation, Jesus himself says to John, come and see, let me show you some things. And he says to us, come and see. So I want to finish by giving you another picture to look at. Chapter 5, join in with all God's creatures and and do what what comes naturally In the presence of greatness, worship the Lamb in grateful, sincere, extravagant praise. It's worship that begins now, this Sunday morning, but will continue for all eternity. Chapter 5, verse 6. Then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and glory, honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. That's what you do in the presence of greatness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to see Jesus, the Lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world 
and to worship and honour him. Amen.